As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Charlene Lowe. Today, we are diving into Global Accessibility Awareness Day, GAD23, um, and how many, many big companies are highlighting and focusing on accessibility. I know this is something near and dear to your heart, Charlene, so yeah, we, we have a lot to talk about here. News from Apple, Google, Adobe, and others. And as always, there's also some AI news. There's AI news oh, every yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple new Amazon devices to talk about, so that's fun. And uh, and you know what? We'll catch up with you, Sherlyn, because you've been out for a couple of weeks. So I want to know like how things were at for you at IO and everything. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review there. Subscribe to anywhere, to be honest. Drop us an email at podcastengadget.com. And join us Thursdays, typically around 10.30 a.m. Eastern, on our YouTube channel for our live stream. Uh, we talk live with the audience. We sometimes show off gadgets. And we always answer questions, too. So it's a fun time. Come join us. So, Sherlyn, Global Accessibility Awareness Day 23 is here. It's happening right now as we're recording and um, we've got a bunch of news, but the one that was really most striking to me is um, the news about Apple's assistive access. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. Um, let's start zooming out a little bit. Uh, Global Aware- Accessibility Awareness Day, GAD. That's, this is the 12th year running uh, that we've had GAAD. Um, so with, for big tech companies, it's only in the recent few years that they've used this week or day right. to yeah, announce... Yeah. You know, accessibility-oriented updates. And Apple actually has been doing it, I think, maybe the most uh, consistently and also the most in terms of volume of news around accessibility. Um, While other companies sometimes just wait till, you know, other launches to announce accessibility-related stuff or more more quiet about their announcements, Apple has traditionally, again, in the last, I want to say, like, four to five years, been more, like, bold about it. Um, You know, it's really staking a claim. It's really saving a whole bunch of like a meaty uh, pack of updates for this week each year. So this year, Apple, again, leading the pack with like some of the biggest changes or the biggest updates coming for people with uh, needs, for assistive needs, uh, stuff like that. Today, or actually this week announced assistive access. It is basically um, part of the accessibility settings of iOS and uh, iPadOS, which changes the interface of the typical like iPhone or iPad layout into something that's again simpler uh, for people with maybe cognitive disabilities or just need fewer distractions uh, on their on their iOS or OS interface um it's like you know it's it reminds me of those phones catering directly to seniors or elderly people or like devices that are built with larger buttons and larger font and that sort of stuff um it's kind of like that but iOS, right? So if you if you turn on assistive access, uh, say on your iPhone, basically you get a choice of six bigger buttons that take up the screen, you know, like a two by three layout. 
and uh, clear like bigger fonts, bigger icon shapes, and the apps themselves are also streamlined. So Apple's first party apps have mostly been uh, kind of tweaked to fit this layout when this setting is turned on as well. Uh, so let's say you go into messages and you want to, and you're a person that, you know, really doesn't like dealing with a lot of messages at once or you feel overwhelmed when you see a whole long list of text, right? Uh, in the messages app in assistive access, you really only see the people you've whitelisted. Uh, so the conversations with those people are front and center. Again, in larger uh, buttons, larger font, pictures are also bigger. And then when you tap into a message with them, you'll see things like... Uh, an emoji-only keyboard, uh, for example, and uh, or if you prefer communicating with only video messages, you can also, you will also you know be able to choose from the video messages only uh, response option, which allows you to record video messages and send them. Um, and if you go over to photos, also instead of the typical like I don't know seven hundred pictures you will see at once, you see a two by three grid again uh, of photos. Everything is simplified. There's always a back button at the bottom, which for me, hallelujah, I hate that on iOS, you don't have that simple swipe in from the side gesture. Right? I mean, That's we, we've I lost Android, the home but. button. I feel like for a lot of people, that was your way to get out of an app. But now they're all the, the, the buttons are all over the place. The arrows are everywhere. Yeah. Now. yeah. It's swipe, 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 mm -hmm. right? Or you reach to the upper left to go get back to yeah. one page or something like that. So, um, you know, in assistive access, you always have that back button at the bottom of the page when you're, um, you know, seeing something like Apple Music or Apple's photos. I mean, this is basically a whole new version yeah. of iOS, isn't yeah. it? I thought that was pretty significant um, that and, and that Apple really went to such lengths, right? These are all, all first-party apps basically would work nicely with this. I think some third-party apps will too. Um, I don't know. Devendra, would you turn this feature on for someone in your family? Yeah, and for sure. And you think someone would benefit? Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly older people in my family and people who have... Uh, vision issues too and who can't yep. deal with the clutter of a typical smartphone interface and like the flood of notifications we get and it was like so much stuff like smartphones have become just so crazy busy and now we are what 15 years after the the iphone debuted mm -hmm. basically so mm -hmm. i feel like now is a good point to to kind of do this and to you know focus on people who may have issues we see people in the chat by uh, basically Peter Lee in the yes. chat mentioned that um, it would be great for his mom who doesn't understand smartphones um, or English yeah. very well, too. So these are big buttons, very clear text. Uh, it's very clear, like what the buttons do and how to get to the apps. I'd be interested to see how third parties actually take advantage of this. I think especially the ones where people may know they have older users and they may want to cater a bit to them. Um like the New York Times app or something, like a way mm -hmm. to read things yeah. better. Um, I did, I, did they say anything about web pages? If they're like doing anything to make text or anything more readable on web pages, Sherlyn? I mean, that's part of some of the updates mm -hmm. uh, uh, Apple also announced, right? Assistive access isn't the only thing that Apple announced. And we'll get to a, a more of that in a little bit. But, you know, you have more options to customize the font sizes uh, for those who uh, have visual impairments or just prefer different font sizes on their um uh, home screen and stuff like that. They didn't specifically say if uh, web pages in, say, Safari in assistive access would look different. I mean, this was quite a high level. I see. I see. It would be like I the had. reading view, you know, which already strips away so right. much of the junk of a page, Again, like a bigger version of that. Exactly. 
I want to highlight two yeah. features. Um, Steve Dent wrote up this news for us, and he pointed out that there is live speech and personal voice, so, yeah, exactly. which are really cool, too. Live speech lets you type what you want to say and spoken aloud during phone and FaceTime calls. And for people who can speak but are at risk of losing their ability to do so, um, personal voice uh, lets them like record snippets of phrases, and it recreates a computer voice that sounds like them. That's well, kind of cool, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, again, people who have diagnoses that are, you know, things like ALS or things that progressively impact your voice um, are at risk of losing their voice. And so they can, you know, use this feature to retain uh, that personal familiar voice for features like live speech. Right. Uh, And the setup process is you you read some, you know, randomized text prompts uh, into your iPhone or iPad and on machine uh, on device machine learning will generate your voice. The whole process of reading different phrases, uh, according to Apple's uh, material, will take about 15 minutes. And then you have that voice saved. And I was um, shown kind of a snippet of what this voice of mm-hmm. this demo person sounded like when generated. It sounded very similar to them. I would say it wasn't like, it still had that computerized right, uh, tinge sure. to it. Um, but but it very much sounded more like them as opposed to Siri or like, you know, any other computer voice we we have on the market these and days. And this is so. Apple relying on its own like machine learning models to do this. Like they, they haven't yeah. opened up to a lot of the, you know, the large language models and the bigger, the bigger AI projects we've been talking about. Right. So right. this is one of those areas where I feel like could, could get a lot better for Apple too. Like that needs to be an episode at some point because where is Apple in AI? I, I don't know. I don't know, but they are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Like there's a lot of computer vision work in photos and everything. So I, yeah, you know. I mean, I think it's a huge conversation. I think Apple's been in AI, just not necessarily generative AI. Well, they, they the don't talk topic. about Siri very much anymore because the yeah, AI anyway. around Siri has been like well, they focus poop they focus emoji. on AI for what uh, computer uh, sorry computer vision yes. and uh, photo stuff. What what do they even call their engine? Photonic engine? I don't Photonic remember. Photonic. I mean, even the autocorrect and everything like they they have talked about those sorts exactly. of things being like this. Right. So, is there anything else you want to mention about the Apple stuff, Sherlyn? Because I know Google. You were talking with Google about something. There's right? so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Apple had a bunch more updates for the details. I encourage you to read uh, the article that Steve wrote for us on Engadget.com. I'm also working on a separate story that will also have a lot of the details. So, uh, go ahead. But these two, I mean, again, just a small. But the more significant portions of Apple's news for accessibility-related products this week, um, and and Apple again leading the way with some of the biggest news for this sure. week too. And a couple of weeks before Dub Dub too, so we're going to be hearing a lot more Apple news soon. And I'm sure they will like find some ways to weave in these notions of yeah. accessibility into the actual yeah. product. And these are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to be clear, these are previews, yeah. right? Like this is the announcement time, but not necessarily the feature launch date. Um, some of these are coming soon. Some of them coming in the fall. Some of them coming later this year. Um, for again, for all the details, the article uh, will have whatever time frame Apple told us. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's up with Google? Because you there was yeah. some AI stuff you want to talk about. I think I had the opportunity to have an exclusive chat with Eve Anderson, who is the head of. Her title changed recently. She was the head of product inclusion, equity, and accessibility and stuff like that on uh, at Google. Now she's like director of product for all. Basically, inclusivity, accessibility, right? Um, and today, literally 10 a.m. Eastern today, Google announced a new feature called Visual Q&A, hmm. so VQA. It's part of the company's um, lookout, which is, you, you know, the the 
you know, app where you use your phone and point the camera at things and it'll detect items around you. Um, oh, that reminds me of something else I wanted to talk about, about Apple, but I'll circle back. Um, they release very similar features here in the space for people who are visually impaired, right? Google's feature is VQ&A and it's, it uses generative AI to in image mode. Uh, if, if a person who's using lookup to, you know, ask your phone, hey, what's this picture of? Uh, the system will first tell you, hey, in this picture, you know, there's dogs on the beach or whatever, right? And what visual Q&A allows for is for you to follow up with questions like, hey, is the weather, like, what's the weather like? Are there other people in the scene? Right, uh, but right. Because here's the thing, and I'm sure, I don't know if you struggle with this too, I do, um, Devendra, but when you're writing image descriptions or captions or, or alt text when we're uploading pictures, right? There is a bit of a struggle in terms of how much detail to include. Sometimes I just go phone with camera facing yeah. front and if you're uh, uploading in like, front of a black background. If you're uploading 20 pictures, it's like, I don't, that is it's a, lot. a little tedious. Right. As much as I want to get also, that, yeah. Right. And there's also so many, only so many ways I can describe a phone in front of a background mm -hmm. held in midair, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, do yeah. you need to know I held it with my left hand? You know what I mean? Do you need to know that this is a fair-skinned person? It's, it's, that's kind of the struggle. And so what VQ&A does is kind of uh, allow for the user to be a bit more involved in how much detail to get. Um, so if you want more detail, obviously you can ask VQ&A a follow-up question, right? What breed is that dog? Uh, are there any kids in the picture? Because this, if those things aren't actually addressed in the initial description, letting the user have the opportunity to ask follow-up questions gives them the power to ask what they want. So that's the beauty of using a bit more of generative AI in something like VQ&A. Obviously, I think it's a lot of steps. I think it's, it's something that's... Uh, I'm not sure uh, as a person who has sight, I, I don't know how actually useful it will be. Um, so obviously it's something I, I'm going to ask some of my like, visually impaired yeah. sources of friends to try out or let me know. Is this feature actually something people can try soon? Because uh, I'm looking around and Google right, has been right. talking about VQ&A since like last year, honestly. So Well, What's yeah, this thing? is the yeah. first time they're talking about using generative AI to kind of come up with some of the... Uh, answers. Uh, there's no prompts. This is really just for, for people who are visually impaired to ask the questions themselves. Um, and the feature is coming soon. So part of the announcement is that it's coming, I forget if it was fall or later this year, but I, and also at one point Google used the word soon. So I was like, all right, well, uh, okay. <laughs> three different time frames. But um, yeah, no, this feature is coming. I would wager before the end of the year. Um, that's, uh, that's good to hear at least that it's coming out. And another, so Back to what Apple did though, Apple has had this feature called Magnifier for people who are visually impaired uh, for a long time now. And in Magnifier, you have something called Detection Mode, which last year we saw Detection Mode uh, got a new ability to recognize when doors are there. So it's called Door Detection Mode. And when it sees a door, it will tell you if there's a sign on it, whether, the, whether it's closing hours or whether credit cards are accepted, that sort of information detection or door detection on iOS can read it out to you. So this week, what Apple announced is a new thing called point and speak within detection mode. So instead of just, you know, like, for example, if you hold up the phone in detection mode at a microwave oven, 
you just it just tells you microwave right it doesn't tell you much else but now with point and speak at least when it's available to people people who are using this feature can hold up their phone or the camera pointed at the microwave and use their fingers to point at specific parts of the Mm. keypad and have what's on there the labels read out to you so one minute defrost whatever it is start you can hold up your phone with one hand use your finger on the other and point along the keypad and have the phone read out to you which is actually if you think about it quite a challenging task uh tech technologically because it needs to really like drill in on exactly which part you're pointing at and read that out to you. Um, This works with, Mm -hmm. right, exactly. This works with just text so far. Not a lot of like clarity on whether icons like warning signs are supported just yet, but it will read out the words, which I think is, you know, quite useful. You never, I never think about how people use appliances. Mm -hmm. You know, you would just, guess i guess where the delicate wash button you know and everything is not very clear every manufacturer has like different buttons for different things like the the ice maker and the like water filter on my fridge uh, my mom always has a hard time seeing it because it's not like lit up properly and it's like one button where you're cycling through water and ice and uh, even that interface doesn't make sense so yeah it's a pain especially if you go to somebody in somebody else's house where you're not used to the appliances and everything yeah it's also not just for people who are fully you know just who are blind visually impaired anyone that has trouble seeing the words that might be super tiny you could you know maybe hold your phone up closer to the thing and point at specific parts of what you're looking at um again with accessibility and inclusive design it if you design it to be inclusive for one part of the population many other parts of the population benefit as well it's not just for one purpose people can benefit so it's interesting to see Apple talking about this stuff too because I think the idea of holding your phone up to something and having it call out to you maybe a little clunky except for people who really need it but you also see like if we were wearing augmented reality glasses yeah. and I was just looking yeah, at something it might be coming to that feature phone, yeah. yeah and you'd be like okay wh- what is this read me what's here or yeah. something and then yeah. your the iPhone or whatever will talk to you through the glasses it is yeah. interesting to see Apple's like vision for where true augmentation could take us you know so I do want to point out that like there was already a, a device that sort of does this. We awarded um, the the name, the company name is like escaping me at the moment. But two, last year at CES, so not 2023, but 2022, the winner of our best accessibility product is actually uh, eyewear. Uh, it's like a pair of glasses with a camera on it that you can also, that will also look at what you're pointing at and read things out to you. And it does more. It does just, not just like, uh, appliance labels, but also when you're reading a book, if you point to a specific paragraph, it can read out that stuff for you, but that's a single purpose device. Uh, that's the one thing it does. So it's really interesting to see Apple build all of this into iPhone. Um, so yeah, that was a like slight deviation away from no, Google because I was reminded about what else mm-hmm. uh, Apple did, uh, and it was along the same lines. The other, uh, the rest of Google's news, um, part of it is around live caption. Live caption is the feature on your phone that basically you know adds subtitles to anything you're watching um, through your phone. It is expanding to cover more languages like French, German, and Italian uh, coming soon. And then also Maps uh, always had an a feature that was like. It got crowdsourced information on how accessible a place was. It would label the accessibility friendliness of a place um, based on crowdsourced information. But that was always uh, really specific to like places in the U.S. and stuff like that. Uh, the announcement this week is that this feature is going to be available globally to everyone uh, by the end of the year. So no, not as many individual news items as Apple, but Google is also making an effort here. I also think Google has a tendency to announce things along the whole year as opposed to like just this week or a year in advance before they actually Sometimes, deliver anything to you yeah so, oh yeah we will get to that 
We in will, a little we'll, bit. We'll talk about some of that stuff. Um, it is also yeah. funny to see like AI is going to be a bigger, as much as like I am worried about like where generative AI will take us, like certainly the actual benefits of it could be really useful, especially for accessibility purposes. So it's nice to see like more so, of that taking shape. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, this is the point. This is the point that I'm going to make in this video that we shot about this week's accessibility mm -hmm. news. So if you hey head on over to Engadget's YouTube channel, you'll probably see it by the time this episode goes live. But um, the point that I, I talked to Eve Anderson, right? And, and one of my questions for her, because our conversation was supposed to be around how generative AI can help accessibility in tech, right? Um, one of the things I learned is that like, at least based on what Anderson said, they were like, oh, we think of it as a user-first you know, process. So you don't go at a problem thinking, yes, I'm going to apply generative AI to this. You go to it thinking, what is the problem? How can I solve it? Rather than using the hot buzzword of the year and like shoving it into like whatever product just to, you know, clunkily make something buzzy, right? So generative AI might not actually be that helpful when it comes to the accessibility related stuff. I mean, some of the biggest problems we're still struggling with in the world of, uh, accessibility or inclusive design ai captions are still a mess i think that's where generative ai might be able to help better if it can pull like contextual information about a sentence and then figure out like what actually people are saying um like <laughs> this again reminds me of another thing that apple uh, uh -huh. <laughs> announced this week apple added these this feature to um uh voice recognition or voice control where like when you're editing your voice um typos now, instead of just offering you like suggest suggested words based on the spelling, it will also offer phonetic suggestions. So like, for example, you said, you're right. Like example, you said, oh, that piques my interest, right? Uh -huh. And then it goes, instead of instead of P-I-Q-U-E, it goes P-E-A-K. And then you tap that and you're like, this has, that's a wrong word. I want to edit that, right? The suggested words that come up now will show P-E-A-K, P-E-E-K, P-I-Q-U-E, like that sort of thing. So peak, peak, and peak your interest. Like... That is actually thoughtful, and that's not just an accessibility-minded feature, obviously, but it's it's part of the package of updates being announced. That's good week. to hear so, because I do feel um, like, in general, um, I feel like autocorrect has gotten worse on iPhones. I don't know oh, what's, yeah. what's going on, but I used to be able to like bang out text pretty pretty quickly, and now it's like I know. I, I'm typing very clear things, and um, my iPhone's like you mean um, you mean something else entirely? Like I, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I've been experiencing that, but I, I thought it was because I predominantly use swipe typing. I love to swipe type. Swipe type's and, fine, uh, yeah. every, But no, everything is bad. Everything I swipe out is wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just, I guess... I, I wonder if type. Apple's like trying to be like, well, you know, you could just hit that little microphone button and get some like, you know, oh, uh, text, uh, right. voice to text uh, going, maybe getting us all Could into be. that. Because that's actually working a lot better in my experience, but sometimes you don't want to, you don't want to get out there. They've been working yeah. on those engines. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I would just finish this with the thought that like, uh, at least wrap up the Google segment with the thought that like, yeah, it's not generative AI is not the solution for everything. Yep. I think when it comes to accessibility, I like to see companies take a little bit more thoughtful of an approach. Um, and I'm glad to see that in this week's set of announcements, we really saw so very little, like relatively fewer mentions of generative AI. And speaking of, the next thing we're about to talk about it's all about generative all about AI, generative really, using AI. generative AI. Well, it's from, it's <laughs> yeah. from Adobe, and Adobe announced that the, yeah. they have a new AI, or their AI can automate uh, adding PDF accessibility tags, which is useful to help people, you know, find information that's been put into PDFs. Um, we need to actually see this in action to see how good it, yep. it, it actually works, because I think one thing we've noticed about uh, Adobe stuff is that they have been very good about hyping up things, but... 
the pro- the quality of what they're doing like their uh, generative like um image their image generation ai yep. is not firefly? that great firefly is not that great compared to midjourney and compared to dolly and everything people are getting some really like janky uh, results from firefly but adobe Holy. can say hey we have our own image thing and <laughs> if you pay our subscription we'll you'll have the power of ai except yeah. you're creating Let- like you know gross dumb illustrations they don't look very good yeah yeah I am nervous about how this will come up. So just to be like extremely and painfully clear about how this is supposed to work, right? Right now, if you have PDF documents um, that people who may have visual disabilities uh, would use screen readers to go through, right? Um, What the meta tags in the PDF documents do is they label very clearly for screen readers what a header is, what a paragraph is, like where are the sections in this document. Um, And so what Adobe is announcing this week is that it has AI that will automate that entire process and tell your screen reader where the header is, where the thing is. And it's releasing them in two ways. It is doing an API. It's called the, I think the accessibility uh, PDF auto tag API. And then it's also releasing it around June in Acrobat Pro and Acrobat Reader. So I think around June is when we'll start to see whether it's actually effective. The other um, potentially intriguing thing about this is that it actually makes back tagging older documents more easy uh, and more efficient at scale. So for companies that have copious amounts of PDF documents that are untagged for screen readers, this API should make that procedure or process much faster. And so people can go make their older PDFs more accessibility friendly or screen reader friendly with much less time. Again, all this is predicated on the effectiveness of this tool. And I don't know that I trust Adobe's AI specifically. It's This was based on what, Sensei? Have you heard Sensei, of Sensei, yeah. Dev? Yeah, yeah, What's your experience with slash impression I, of I have Sensei? not I tested Sensei, but, you know, I think in general, um, I feel like Adobe has been playing catch-up than most other people because they see the potential multimedia uses for this, for the company right. behind, you know, Photoshop and Premiere. They need to be in this. Um, but I have also learned uh, I, I can't trust Adobe. Not, 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 not completely, you know. Not not fully. So I remain cautiously, not even optimistic. I remain cautious about we'll, this we'll one. We'll see. We'll see um, Adobe. Like, they, yeah, we'll they coasted see. for so long with uh, with what? Um, both Flash and uh, and the way like, PDFs <laughs> are. Like, they, they have survived for very long by making the web just, like, honestly inaccessible with things. Like, Flash was not a very accessible thing at all. It went against so many like web standards and everything and made life really hard for screen readers. So you got a lot of fixing. You got a lot of like explaining to do Adobe. And I hope uh, this is part of it. I hope this is part of them getting better because yeah, PDFs also inherently are a very closed um, platform, right? They don't, they're not as fully searchable. They can't, they're not editable. You can't do a lot with a PDF. So even that, I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're at least auto tagging this. Um, anything else you want to mention about this one, Trillin? Nope, uh, that's really it about Adobe. We we really have to wait and see. But there, again, a big slew of other news uh, from other companies this week about accessibility. Do you want to take the first one? I will. Uh, uh, one one thing I'll mention about Adobe, by the way, like we we did talk about their podcast. Uh, they're like uh, AI generated podcast uh, editing tools. So that sort of thing will get easier where you will see text and you'll be able to delete a sentence and that sentence in the podcast waveform gets deleted. And that stuff will be cool. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. In other other companies doing this stuff, uh, Sony announced that Project Leonardo, their accessibility controller that we talked about several months ago, is now called the Access Controller. 
and we still don't have a release date. We still don't have a price or anything. So I don't, I don't expect this to be very, very cheap. Um, but could could be useful you know we've talked about this before it has uh it's built to accommodate different ranges of motion and strength um has analog stick caps uh, available in like all the standard sizes like dome and ball shapes and different things too different sizes of buttons can be placed at various angles and you as a user can kind of equip it and say uh what you want the buttons to do you can kind of configure it entirely so it's built for people who have all sorts of accessibility needs and it seems genuinely seems genuinely interesting and useful. Um, I would love to have somebody who actually requires accessibility controllers to compare this to like the, the Xbox one. I give Microsoft a lot more credit for being there first, I'd say, and just being yeah. like, they yeah, have been exactly. talking about this stuff before a lot of these companies even, I think even ever acknowledge accessibility. So we'll see. It's very, it's a nice looking yeah. piece of hardware though. Like it looks like a PlayStation 5 controller. It's not like a half, a half ass type of thing. Okay, Shirley, we also have some uh, accessibility news from a bunch of other companies. What is what is yep. going on? Yeah, so Samsung, you know, also had like a small update for us. And I when I say small, I mean very small. <laughs> um, and this comes <laughs> by way of the Galaxy Buds 2 Pro. Uh, it is getting a slight update. Two more levels. To the ambient. Yeah. God, yeah, to the ambient sound control. So uh, basically, you could use, when you use the Galaxy Buds 2 Pro, you can choose how much ambient sound to let, let in. And now you get two additional uh, levels, taking it to five uh, levels of loudness for the ambient voice to pass through, uh, ambient sound to pass through. So, hey, if you need it more uh, clarity about how your environment sounds or people who are just using these Buds 2 Pro as a way to kind of enhance or, or augment the environmental sound anyway, you now have two more levels of controls. I mean, they've also- Have you tried it, Trillian? Go ahead. Just wondering. I mean, I've used the Buds mm -hmm. 2 Pro. Um, I'm not a big ambient sound pass-through kind of person. I like to leave it in no no tweaks, so no ANC or uh -huh. transparency. Um, but when I have used it, when I was testing it, uh, it worked well. I just haven't tried this new gotcha. feature. To I love transparency mode. Like that's one of the things uh, when people talk about like wireless earbuds and everything, especially if they have noise canceling, you assume like, oh no, like uh, you're just blocked out from the world. You can't hear everything. No, no, no. With transparency modes, like you definitely get a good amount of audio and if i'm like working somewhere like at a coffee shop or outdoors and i want to hear what's going on around me it's still it's still helpful to have transparency so that's cool thank you samsung yeah i agree mm -hmm. uh yeah and you can also you know edit some of the um ambient sound uh clarity to be auto-tuned to your own hearing and also you can do this for individual ears so let's say your left ear is more sensitive or has more hearing then you can make that a little softer whereas your right ear might need a bit more help you can do that uh, as well. So, hey, Samsung, you know, did a thing this week. Cool. Good for you. Uh, Xbox also had some small updates that we didn't, you know, you know, it was kind of incremental, so we didn't really hit on mm -hmm. its own. But basically, the company uh, not only unveiled new, uh, I think, accessibility support pages, something like 150 pages are available uh, to teach people about the tools that they can use to, you know, benefit from more assistive or accessible design. But it's also introduced new accessibility settings in the Xbox app for PC, which is nice. Um, I personally haven't used any of these, but these include the ability to disable background image, disable animations, that sort of thing that um, for different people with different mm -hmm. cognitive disabilities or just don't like, you know, who may be triggered by excessive animation, for example, then th there's the option now, which is nice. Uh, 
Yeah. Finally, WebEx uh, is teaming up with, well, Cisco, parent company of WebEx, is teaming up with Voiceit. And Voice Voiceit ITT, is this, you know, fairly... the company Voiceit. Yeah. <laughs> Voiceit, yeah, ITT. Uh, I mean, we know Voiceit ITT from uh, their work with Amazon in the past where, you know, they've actually done, and, and actually maybe with Google as well, where they've been working on um, speech recognition for people with speech impediments or speech impairments. So if you have a severe lisp or, or you know, get ALS, uh, you might not, you may have non-standard speech. And so Voiceit is quite a well-known name in the space. WebEx will soon use Voiceit's AI tools to add subtitles when these uh, people with these impediments are speaking on calls. So better captioning for them uh, and therefore helps them better communicate. Uh, again, with Voiceit being, having worked in this space for so long, I have a tendency to be more trusting of this feature. Uh, and this will be built into or built on top of WebEx's existing translation, live translation feature uh, where they, you know, take some some something someone's saying in say French or Chinese and translates gotcha. it to English in subtitles. Have we heard so um speaking that. of voice have we heard much about Nuance lately because I totally forgot Microsoft bought Nuance the maker of Dragon naturally speaking last year. I know yeah. And yeah. honestly before all this AI stuff haven't really heard a peep about that for for a while. Yeah. I really wonder what is going on there because that is another thing that kind of puts Microsoft in this spot of being like I think we're all waiting for the time when we could just like sit and talk to our computers, you know, like just be like, just open the thing. Get me what, what's my what's my email? Can you like add this to my calendar? Think, like we all want that. We all want that assistance. I think what yeah. we want, what we want is a robot doing all our work <laughs> for us that we can order around because that's sure, sure. more like I mean, what you're talking about. Sure. Well, no, your computer, your computer, everything happens on your computer. Yeah. I, I want a give me a good assistant that actually freaking works because that's that's the thing. That's the thing that would you're talking about the C word assistant, right? I don't I don't know if that's a trigger like a anything. hot word. For I mean, the, it, for the C word does not exist anymore. C word does not exist anymore. I know she has been killed Sad or by not. Master Chief or not Maybe saved. It's I don't know. Bing AI. Bing AI. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, don't don't forget we'll that Microsoft now owns Nuance because that is that is like a yeah, little as a little thing that is just gonna Nuance is huge mm -hmm. or we're huge. Nuance was yeah. huge and also notable for being like kind of ruthless as old microsoft was because they would like mm. either acquire smaller voice uh, technology companies or like bully them out of existence so yeah of course microsoft will get them hey that's that's a thing maybe we'll check in on that um okay we that's should. it for accessibility well yeah, so what's up that is, I mean, again, that is it. I mean, there was a Firefox update. We're not going to go too much into that. For all of the details on what tech companies have been announcing this week for GA80 2023, again, you can go check out Engadget.com. We got a lot of coverage on that. Uh, and again, look out for my video that will be coming either later today or tomorrow. Uh, it's it's just a digestible summary of everything. So yeah, I, I think we should keep an eye. So one more point that I'm going to make on this topic before we move on is... Yeah, it's nice to see a lot of companies doing stuff, right, this week for, for accessibility and inclusion. But let's remind everybody, let's take a moment to remind everybody this is not a once-a-year effort. This is an ongoing, continual process. You know, inclusive design should be considered at every step of product design, not just every May, you know, every third Thursday of May. GAAD. That's what we're and I think. About like this. all these, all these days that also celebrate like specific things. Like it is a thing to remind yes. yourself that hey. This is a thing we should be thinking about, not just the only day. Right. Or only month or only time we should be doing that. So, yeah, good call, Sherlin. Uh, let's move on to some other news. And we'll start with AI this week because uh, 
AI is controlling everything. <laughs> and I do want to talk about the story. Um, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, maker of ChatGPT and, uh, you know, GPT and everything, um, was in a Senate hearing and basically spent a bunch of last week smoothing uh, with people um, with people in Congress and in Washington, D.C. And I, we didn't write up this story, but I'm looking at the New York Times report and I'm seeing reporting from elsewhere. What's really interesting is that he basically goes there is really calm and chill for three hours and just like, yes, please regulate me. Please, wow. please regulate our industry. We don't really know. What's I love up. that. I, to which I'm like, huh, what's your game, Sam Altman? What are you? Yeah, you are telling us exactly what we want to hear. And this right. is so different from Zuckerberg getting up there and just like sweating oh, and God. just like dying when they're like grilling him. And also stonewalling. And stonewalling and uh, basically, yeah, uh, being really evasive in terms of like what he was talking about it looking at parts of the hearing um it's like people in the government like sam altman it's like he he uh, there were reports that he went out to dinner you know with people this is very typical he went out to dinner he went out to drinks he schmoozed with cory booker and other people and they just seemed to like him during the hearings they were calling him sam not mr altman and it is a really different they friendly relationship um that he has compared to like zuck and everybody else and maybe they're just like they don't have anything to be as angry about right now where I think the government is aware that AI generative AI is growing quickly, moving very fast. And we should probably do something about that. Um, it is yep. in Sam Altman's best interest to say he needs to be regulated because resisting, resisting is worse. Resisting is when they're like, Oh, the government's is going to think, Oh, you, you think you can self-regulate? You think you can handle this all on your own? And I think that that is not the way to do this. He is, he is taking the sort of like, zen way through all of this is just like going with the flow of what the government wants basically what do you think Sherlyn? because you you had a positive idea of this at first right i mean uh, I'll, I'll admit to hearing this for the first time like right now right and i was like <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. wow self-awareness maybe he's ai no, no, no. <laughs> uh, maybe he's getting sentient um i don't know i think i agree with the sentiment that there needs to be a lot more regulation in ai right now um from what i see here and know i know that there's a lot of fluster at all the top levels of all the big companies kind of flurrying to catch up or or be on top of this generative ai um wave that's happening right now and and with that you often get reckless behavior you know in the effort to pursue advancement progress or it's you know, really it's it's the so, move fast and break things philosophy which exactly. all the social media companies fell victim to zuckerberg especially but it is weird that Sam Altman is like basically going to Congress and being like, guys, this AI stuff is crazy. What's happening here? This should be stopped. You like, really, Sam Altman? Yeah. Really? Maybe maybe you guys should have slowed your role on rolling out um, a lot of these models and pushing those business deals with Microsoft, basically. And I don't know if it was OpenAI or Microsoft doing it, but the cause of a lot of our consternation right now is saying, hey, 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 maybe this could be a problem. I'm like, yeah, maybe it could be. Well, like, here's the thing, too. We need to, yes, we need regulation, but we also partly, I, I think what I admire from Google I.O., and I'm sure we get 
to that in a little bit, is that like Google at some point was like, we're aware how dangerous some of this stuff is, right? Whereas OpenAI was like, whatever, let's do ChatGPT4 now and open it up to everyone. Uh, Google was like, at some point, it, remember you watching that scene on uh, NIO where it was kind of creepy where they did the language translation, but then they also did lip matching. And then immediately they were like, oh, we're aware of how this can be used to deep fake things. And so we're only allowing trusted users and trusted organizations to access it. I mean, they displayed awareness, some semblance of like self-awareness there of like how dangerous this could potentially be. Um, but you know, how effective are they going to be at limiting the use and spread of this sort of technology? Sure. Like we've got the nuclear bomb question again, right? When the person who, or people who designed the nuclear bomb never thought it would be used to never no, they knew exactly what it was going to be so used for. Come on. People? Please. That, yeah, exactly. It's like, one. how can you say you, yeah, that we're one in the you can't design a war and we're racing and so that, yeah, somebody else doesn't create this thing. So they obliterate us. So we obliterate right. them first. And yeah. It's a whole right, thing. so you're, yeah. it's not like a, a, a it, it's not as cut and dry as the nuclear bomb, which is like a, a clear no right and wrong here, right? But this is a thing that could be used for good, it could be used for bad, and it's like, uh, I mean, I'm talking specifically about AI, and you you kind of have to be very careful. It's a very very delicate balancing. I act. mean, yeah, and the race against uh, for the nuclear bomb was against basically the Nazis and trying to out innovate Nazis, and this one's basically there's a lot of like xenophobia going on. Like this is. Everyone's yeah. worried about China. Gotta, gotta, gotta defeat China. Can't let China rule the AI. Otherwise, the economy's ruined. So, yeah, there is a lot of that going on. Anyway, folks, like, I, I'm, we've talked about this before. Like, a, yeah, we need a more intelligent and more uh, technologically aware um, government that can effectively regulate these things. We can't wait until they take over the world to be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have approved that $20 billion merger. Can we have a take back Um, That's probably <laughs> not going to work. You need to be able to like anticipate problems ahead of time. We've talked about Lena Khan and like the work she's been doing at the FTC to like really trying to push more regulation and stronger limits on what these tech companies could do. Uh, but we'll be paying attention to all this because I, it, it's very interesting why he's doing what he's doing. Like this is a pure, you know, goodwill campaign so that people don't hate him as much as uh, they hate Zuckerberg and the government, basically. Google also had some news around AI and uh, is about. Um, Long and costly drug discovery. I believe that's the deal. Sherlyn, did you see what Google was doing? Um, basically helping to do things. Uh, typically when like a pharmaceutical company wants to develop drugs and everything, it is a long process. There's a lot of testing involved. And I think Google is saying like their cloud division is saying um, they have some AI tools that can help to speed that up. Have you heard anything about this from Google's side? So uh, I haven't heard directly from Google about this because we were just talking about other stuff. Um, and basically this, it sounds like is a, uh, thing called the target and lead identification, target and lead lead anyway, identification suite, uh, which is aiming to help drug companies better understand proteins and amino acids that are again, key to drug development. Um, I, my, my, one of my new, my new best friend, basically <laughs> she is her job, her entire job is, um, drug trials and running uh -huh, them uh -huh. and identifying and so this is close to my friend's gotcha. heart so, i would so love to know the hierarchy and of your best friends is she new best friend is she in the ring Sherlyn? like i don't know <laughs> is this place an old best friend uh, I don't, I don't know there's a chance she might see this so i gotta say she's like <laughs> up there she's like top number one number one happy number birthday one babe um <laughs> whereas the person whose wedding i went to was my former best wow friend. anyway uh, <laughs> okay nobody nobody uh, share this podcast. this, this yeah. 
Nobody tell any of them. Uh, no, but she she works in this sort of um, medical field, and it's it sounds very familiar to me. And I know again of a lot of the pains involved. I another one of my new friends is a, a biomedical engineering professor, and he also is involved in a lot of similar uh, experimental things. And I can see that like, yeah, this could be very helpful to them, but I can also see them being very skeptical of this and thinking that it's probably not going to be very accurate. It may or may not actually be helpful so, yeah. as most ai they say pfizer pfizer and cerebral are already like testing this out so we shall see yeah, yeah. another turn, another one of my friends oh works my for God. pfizer what well, do you what do you what actually? is going on over there shulin <laughs> oh i don't know maybe but it is a sign from the universe that i need meds <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some help speaking of ai stuff by the way um i just wanted to shout this out there was a really cool trailer that dropped this week um for a film called the creator and this is notable uh. because, first of all, this trailer starts with, um, what's his face? Uh, John David Washington, Denzel Washington's okay. son, um, talking to a child about, you know, is he going to go to heaven? And it looks like, it looks like Tenet, honestly. It looks like Tenet all over again, except a lot more sci-fi. And it's slowly, it's quickly revealed that, oh, this is a film about a war against AI. This movie's coming out on September 29th. Wow. It's like, what what timing yeah. for this thing? It's it's about apparently AI went rogue, of course, as it does. It dropped a nuclear bomb on Los Angeles, and now humanity is on a is basically in a war against AI and machines. It looks like it looks like there are machine beings, and this is a really cool looking trailer. I just want to shout it out because it is directed by Gareth Edwards, who did Star Wars Rogue One, which was a really interesting movie, kind of a troubled production. Somebody else had to come in and uh, finish that movie, but. That movie certainly looks good. Like the the eye, Gareth Edwards' eye is really interesting, and him doing a big, large scale, you know, humanity versus AI. Except, oh man, this one AI is a kid. Oh, I got to protect this kid. Like I totally see what's happening here. Um, but the large scale action and everything of it looks really cool. And man, how timely! We're we're all thinking right now about like what AI is doing to us, and everybody's thinking of their uh, all the AI war stories and everything terminator and whatnot um it's just funny the timing of this movie coming out you should check out this trailer Sherlin. i think it's totally your bag i i mean i'm already stoked i would be very hyped for this movie julio our live stream producer said something like um it reminds him of that district movie with chappie it's that sounds familiar chappie chappie it was it, called chappie it was called chappie uh, yeah exactly yeah. thank you i was Sorry, like that sounds so familiar like i like chappie by the way, I have a review of Chappie on uh, on Engadget.com. Um, somebody, people were quick to point out, I think the Australian Blu-ray release has a quote from my review of Chappie. I'm like a handful of people who like, <laughs> Chappie's alive. Okay, Chappie's alive <laughs> and well. Um, but yeah, this this looks a bit like Chappie, except without the, the sort of insanity. And maybe a better story, too, because... Uh, that guy, the, uh, yeah. I love Neil Blomkamp's visuals, but he, he cannot write worth a damn. But anyway... Check out the trailer for the creator. Looks very cool. Yeah. Uh, we also weirdly had like a mini Amazon hardware event this week. Yep. Uh, yep. New Echo Buds, 50 bucks. Yeah. Let me tell you all about it. Okay. Out of nowhere, Amazon's like, look, I know y'all just had IO, but screw you. We're going to do really some Echo hate hardware the way devices. They do this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I am sensing, I am getting the sense that they're trying to space out announcements um, because remember their October hardware events always a mess. There's always all kinds of crap going on. Uh, and, and not that we're never going to have an October hardware event this year, 
But I think we're going to see that be reserved for more interesting things like robots, drones. Anyway, this week it is the boring <laughs> Echo hardware, like these $50 Echo Buds. That's not boring. $50. Um, $50 for some like AirPods looking buds with Alexa built in. That's not. Freaking. All right. I think it's great. great. Yeah. Um, so Billy Steele, our audio guru, audio and grills guru, Billy Grills, um, is, is, has written up this post and he is keen to review them. Uh, these, I believe, don't actually have... Uh, ANC. No, definitely not. They, uh, they, they say yeah, they're semi they yeah. semi in ear too. So it's not like a closed design, um, but a bit in your ear. Yeah. Right. But they're good mm-hmm. enough, right? They're 50 bucks. What, what more are you expecting? And these are Amazon's things. And Amazon's whole like thing is to make things about uh, products that are a little bit more affordable. So they're more, I guess, accessible to people with smaller budgets, which is fair. Well, Am- so, Amazon's again, whole thing redesigned. is to build products that they see are selling really well on their own site and build it themselves and build it and cheaper. Copy and, yeah. yeah. So this these are the AirPods. They're looking yeah. at Anchor. Uh, yeah. They also... Yeah. Anchor, exactly. Anyway, uh, they also announced new Echo Show 5 and Echo Show 5 Kids. Uh, These are the smart displays, very popular in a lot of households. Uh, So these, I mean, the ones for this year are faster and they have better audio. So you can better hear the music that you play or the shows that you play on these uh, devices. And then I'm going lightning fast because we have so much more to get through. But one more thing, uh, or at least two more things Amazon did was announce the Echo Pop Never ever have we ever seen an Echo Pop from (laughs) Amazon. This is a brand new product category. It's basically, I would say, an in-between the Echo and the Echo Dot, right? It's not quite as small as an Echo Dot. It's not like Mm -hmm. a disc or a pop. They just basically cut an Echo Dot in half. That's what it looks like. You slice it straight And it's a little Uh bigger. Yeah, exactly. You slice... Well... An Echo Dot is a No, the disc. dot is they a globe now. down the, one side. The dot is a circular sphere now. Okay, the round yeah. one. They sliced the yeah. globe one in, in half, basically. Yeah. So this is a semi-spherical smart speaker. It's got a little like, light at the top, similar to, again, a lot of Echo devices. Um, and it's only going to cost $40. The, I mean, good, again, with the budget devices, I don't know where they ripped this design off from, but... Uh, it's Cheap speakers are everywhere. Amazon like they, they want to get Alexa everywhere. It is interesting because we did talk about last year that they're the Alexa division, the Echo division is losing a ton of money. Like it's not been super successful <laughs> revenue wise, but they're still like pumping this stuff out there to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I personally, I'm going to avoid saying the yeah, A yeah, Howard. Uh, so Amazon's assistant, but uh, uh, Julio again, in our personal teeny tiny group chat remind, says that it reminds him of a Hugh Phillips sure. light, which you know sure. what? Good point. Um, so yeah, for the actual details and the pictures of these Amazon hardware launches, go over to Engadget.com. We have all the articles and the details up there. You can already buy a lot of these things. There's also a new second gen uh, Echo Auto device, which you like plug into the, I guess, cigarette lighter. Into, or you USB plug into your car and you get like hands-free controls. That's hands-free controls exactly. of, your, of your phone stuff, I guess. Nice. I don't, I don't know how that works, but I know people, if you have a car that doesn't have car, uh, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, you may want like a better voice control. So that sort of thing could be kind of yeah. cool i know people yeah. who used to like basically stick an echo dot on their dashboard to get to get yep. some sort of echo stuff but anyway in other other news yeah. we talked a couple weeks ago about montana's potential tiktok ban and it looks like at this point it is one step closer towards happening uh last night montana's governor signed a bill banning tiktok in the state uh governor greg Gianfort uh signed it a month after it was passed by the le- legislature it's scheduled to take effect in 2024 that's a long ways away, though. 
So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of ways and other groups that could push back on this. Uh, TikTok, of course, said this uh, violates uh, infringes on the First Amendment rights of the people of Montana by unlawfully banning TikTok. But yeah, the idea is that uh, it's it's not like it would be illegal to use TikTok on it, but um, they would prohibit the com- the company from operating in the state. It'll require app stores to block users from downloading TikTok. Uh, and app stores and TikTok face daily fines of $10,000 for violating the law if they don't, uh, yeah, if they don't submit to that. So this is the strongest like anti-TikTok thing we have seen yet. I know also know you're not the biggest TikTok fan, Trillin. Like, how do you feel about this? Like, do you think this is a worthy use of time? Is TikTok that big of a threat? Look, I remember before we left, we talked about this a little bit. So two things. One, it's not that I'm not a fan. I just don't use TikTok. Even though literally it's, it's an app it's made not. for you, Sherlyn. Made for made for showing I, off yeah, your dances. Yeah, I play with the and, filters. Uh, effervescent personality. It's made for Sherlyn. Yeah. Uh, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I, I, the other thing I want to mention was that I was in um, California for Google I.O. I would drop by Santa Clara just to see things. And I saw the bike dance uh I guess HQ, which was very interesting. It was very like low key and quiet. No one, not a lot of life around there. Um, but we did talk about this a little bit. Uh, I think a couple weeks before I disappeared from the podcast, which is that how are they going to enforce this? How how what are you? You step into Montana and TikTok TikTok just stops working. Uh, is this an IP based situation uh, yeah. or geolocation based? Like. Are, are Montana residents then suddenly allowed to use TikTok when they leave the state? What is going on? You can still on? use TikTok I, I haven't in seen Montana. The details. Like, I don't, that, that's the whole thing. It's, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And TikTok is going to fight it before. The logistics like, of this yeah. baffle me, is all I'm saying. I don't it's get it. It's such a waste. It, yeah. Yeah. I get the sentiment. I don't get the, like, how this is going to work. We thing. need a privacy so, bill. We need a national privacy bill yeah. because that is the problem. And not just on TikTok. Yeah. Not just on TikTok. I've had this conversation again with a lot of people, including here on the podcast, which is that TikTok is only one part of the problem. If you're going to ban TikTok, it's going to set a precedent for Facebook, Instagram, whatever else is collecting your data because you'd be naive to think TikTok's the only one. The people are scared about it right now is because TikTok's got supposedly affiliations with I mean, that's it has, it's, it's, yes, come on. It's owned by the Chinese. Yes, okay, but, but what happens if ByteDance and TikTok separate and ByteDance like just goes back to China and TikTok operates as an independent entity in the US? That's what I'm hearing might happen. Um, we'll see. Yeah. But that's just, that's just part of the problem is what I'm saying, right? There's a lot more going on. For sure. That people if they're worried about data of, privacy, privacy like we, we are giving overall. up more to exactly. Facebook and other U.S. companies and, and, and Google. Google and everybody. So, yes, let's hopefully make that happen. Um, also, in other other news, uh, <laughs> iPhone syncing for <laughs> Windows 11 is now available to everybody. Uh, Microsoft's phone link iOS app. I haven't actually tried this yet. Um, I know Intel was working on a similar like phone syncing type of thing. Uh, but, yeah, now everybody could use it. Um, this is one thing Yay. that I do miss. Like. As an iPhone user on Windows, I do miss like when I have work laptops and I have other Mac laptops. When I'm on the Mac, I'm like, oh, nice messages. I could just do my text. I could like, yes. it's all seamless. I go to my Windows desktop and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta keep an eye on my text separately. It just feels not great. Um, it'll be interesting to see how yeah. this works and how it works without breaking iMessage. Because to me, I feel like that's the hard part. It's not that hard to synchronize your text. It's hard to do it within the iMessage platform too. So I, what do you think? Ecosystem. Because yeah. I know you're a Windows fan more than a Mac fan. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, that's the main reason. Well, so I also don't want to sync my personal tech stuff to our work laptop, which is a MacBook, right? So I don't do that. Um, 
and that's why I rely on apps like Telegram so much. But like, if I could use uh, iMessage on a Windows PC, which is yeah, apparently thing. happening soon, yeah, I, I feel like I would text people more. Um, <laughs> sorry to all the friends I've ignored for months. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's tricky. I think iMessage is uh, again like a wall because I'd be curious to see how it behaves. Will I be part of all these iMessage group chats still? Will I be able to send a GIF and have it show up the same way across all the platforms? I have not tested this at all. I want to though, so. We shall see. All right, let's move on to what we're working um, on. Is there anything else you want to mention, Sherlyn? I just want to say, I mean, it's kind of related to what we're working on, which is that this week has out of nowhere been horrendously busy and like a crazy news week. I will shout out. I know I said this, but I didn't write it down. Really quick fire shout out. There was like WhatsApp's new privacy feature. There was Sonos ending support for local file playback on Android. The IRS has a new or reportedly has a free TurboTax alternative in the works. We've got Instagram users being able to comment on posts with GIFs. Uber had a whole ass event where it announced like two things. It will roll out teen accounts with safety features next week. And then it's also allowing you to call an Uber like a normal taxi. Like you call a phone number and you call for one. Um, a toll-free phone line. Uh, and then also, let's not forget, the New York Times built a standalone app for audio That's journalism. True. Like it's going whole hog into it. Like, New York Times is, is really good at the- locking you into their apps and their services. And I think for maybe some some users, like just fi- figuring out podcasts is kind of tough. Like where do I go? I go to my iTunes and my Apple Podcast app? Do I go to this other thing? If I'm on the Android, does it, it doesn't make any sense. You got to go subscribe. It does make sense for a New York Times to be like, hey, all our shows are right here. You don't have to go anywhere else. All is, the podcasts you need. Is yeah. audio going to kill the TikTok star? You know what, what I mean? No. You know? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Radio kill. No, video kill the radio no. star. So now we're coming full circle. Podcast will kill the TikTok star. No, I'm kidding. It's a, it probably anyway. it makes sense because I think podcast exclusivity is the bad thing. Like what Spotify did to, to just like lock things to its platform. New York Times podcast will still be available elsewhere. But they did say they're going to have some some little exclusivity shows. So, you know, small yeah, things. Yeah. You can only see it on their app. Man, New York Times is just so good at that sort of lock in. But. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on to what we're working on. And yeah, I, I agree, Sherlyn. It is. It's been a very busy week, and there are some Hello. busy weeks coming up ahead. Microsoft oh, Build God, yeah. is next week, and we don't fully know what to expect there. Um, except, I. It just seems like there is a lot of news incoming. Just from what I'm seeing internally um, among like leaks and everything, um, there is what we are still dub dub is going to happen. WWDC is going to happen yep. in the next few weeks. We've also got all sorts of devices to review too. Like I got, <sighs> I have LG's uh, 49 inch super ultra wide gaming monitor <laughs> that just came. I have to review that. Um, there's a uh, Asus. Uh, Zenbook S13 or 14 that looks really cool. I want to get some time with. So I've got a lot of reviews in the work. And also, we have seen the rumors uh, that NVIDIA and AMD are also up to something too. So crazy, crazy times. What are you up to, Sherlyn? Yeah, I just got back from IO and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how we all felt about that event. I mean, for me, you know, what did you feel were some of the standouts watching from a distance, right? Um, I was able to check out Project Starline in person, that was their holographic video calls thing. I think that was one thing that maybe we didn't really get a chance to talk about here on the show. Um, We obviously know what was announced, which was the Pixel Fold, Pixel Tablet, a a whole bunch of new AI, like uh, search generative experience. Uh, Pixel 7a was also announced there. And that like, again, that really freaky lip matching translation thing, Google is kind of, kind of, it's creepy, uncanny and scary, but also intriguing. 
So I don't know. What did you feel like? Like you wanted to know more of about my experience? I mean, on the what what all? was your Starline experience like? Because I did mention it. I did say that yeah. people should go check out your coverage. Good. But you know, this is the holographic, yeah. um, you know, virtual meeting type of thing. I saw your coverage. You said it's it looked realistic. You tried to reach out and like touch a thing. The other person was holding yeah. several times, even though they were like in a booth next to you, right? So it is yeah. also the hilarious yeah. image of like. This is the future of, uh, you know, remote communication. You're just in two separate boxes, five feet away from each other. Yep. But okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they were next yeah. to each other too. It was yeah. so funny. It was freaky. Like at first I was like, oh, meh, underwhelming. When I stepped in, I was like, oh, you look just like the person that I saw right outside just now five seconds ago. But now through a screen. But yeah, the second he tried to hand me an apple, I was like, <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Whoa! And yeah. I was like a child looking at ice cream for the first time. It was like mind blown. I was like, "Oh, I really feel like I can grab this apple. I really feel like I can fist bump you." And it's very, it's. I think this depth and the spatial projection were very good. Um, again, it's not something that I can really um tell you more about because it's all like stuff we couldn't get video yeah, of. It's hologram. Let, let's put it because you also tested out Logitech yeah. things, Sherlyn. Um. Project, Project Ghost, Ghost yeah. the video conferencing booth, which is really just a big ass screen, but yep, also different. much like yeah. it's a thing that exists right now. People could just uh, companies can just buy it. Um, did did it feel like functionally different to having like a life size version of somebody on the screen versus the holographics? Do you think it is worth the extra Here's, investment for a holograph system? Right, isn't that the million dollar question? Isn't that the question we're asking about the whole thing, right? It's, it's, I don't think anything, even a holographic projection that is so realistic, I don't even think that is going to ever replace in person. Well, it's, right? it's not about in replacing conversations. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're not meant to be, right? But do I think Project Ghost was better or do I think uh, Project Starline was better? There's, so I think part of it is in the way Project Ghost was set up. Project Ghost was this furniture first concept yeah. where Big like, screen yeah, and furniture. Vibes. That's it beautiful couch right like with things that exist i think i love the aesthetic and so i felt very comfortable in that environment sitting there feeling like i was going to a therapy session did i need the person's hand to reach out to me to hand me an apple i couldn't grab no um i'm technologically very impressed by what google has done but do i think it's entirely necessary i'm not convinced i think google needs to convince me hi i know you're all listening because everybody <laughs> there apparently tells me they wow. want to podcast i'm like, really thinks highly of um, her standing at first of all thanks yeah. um we appreciate yeah. the support. But yeah, I, I I think this technology is so impressive. I am blown away. But at the same time, give me a use case. Why why do I want to reach out and grab a, a non-existent Exactly, Apple? exactly. Um, Just except to have that demo. That. Um, I, I totally agree with you, Sherlyn. We keep having this conversation about like Google building things. And I I have been burned too many times. I cannot trust you, Google. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen many of your concepts. I've gotten excited about things and you guys just either fail to deliver the software for it or you fail to support it properly or the people in charge move on to other projects at Google because that is how that company works, right? You, you're you only there to launch things. You're not there to sustain things. And that is how your worth as a Google product manager basically is. Like that's the problem. We we talked a bit about this. I don't know if you hear Sherlyn, but there was a report saying like basically Google's internal culture is a big reason why so many products die because oh send me there that is report. no yeah. <laughs> there is no real motivation to kind of keep things going because you are judged and you get raises and bonuses based on launching right you know so interesting yeah, yeah no that's a good point uh, if you're a Google employee listening to this or watching you send us an email to, uh, send me an email i'm sherlyn at engadget.com or podcast at engadget.com or tips at engadget.com 
attention me and Devendra will look into this. Um, I will say I had a lot of fun at Google I.O., but there's uh, more events like you uh, mentioned, more events coming up, more secrets, more secrets than ever before. Honestly, like I left Google with a bunch of secrets. I just, let's just put it that way. And um, well, I'm more secretive than I've ever been. Also, um, I am entering a slightly ch a slight change in my role here at Engadget. So less forward facing, more behind the scenes work for me. Um, you will still see me, but uh, there's, there's, changes that will mean i'm busy even though i don't look like it it's okay i have <laughs> yeah. a we have a closet with shrillin's name just like taped on is like it's gonna just gonna shove her in there but she'll still be in the podcast yeah. <laughs> yes that's right. um uh, speaking of stuff happening at the site around engadget uh billy Steele reviewed the beat studio buds plus that's that's the thing right beat studio buds plus um which is beats like you know slightly newer uh totally wireless earbuds um has changes to ANC, better battery life. Uh he gave it a you know decent score, 84. Um these come in cheaper or a little bit cheaper uh than the AirPods yeah, Pro 2. They're $170. AirPods Pro 2 are still like Which 250, is, right? And is isn't it funny if you think about it? Apple owns Apple beats, beats, right? This is all the so weird are... the, this is Apple's other thing. And honestly, I really liked uh Beats headsets for a long, long time. Like I had I had the Beats Fit yeah. Pro. I had the last, uh, you know, version. So the studio was like the slightly smaller version. Um, and I like the Beats and I lost my AirPods Pro 2 a couple of weeks ago at a theater. I'm still remotely tracking it in the Find My app and I see where exactly oh it is. Um, so you know who stole it. I don't it. know who stole it, but I see it moving to nearby town. Um, and I was thinking like, man, should I just like go back to the Beats Fit Pro? They're, they're really nice. And in the end, I just caved because I really like the AirPods Pro 2. I use them so much. Yeah. They're always attached to my ears. They are like an extension of yeah. my being at this point. Like I take calls. I am wow. listening to podcasts. I need them to live. Like the kids are making noise and like stuff is happening in the house and I need to like do other things. Um, yeah. It's something that lets me like be multifunctional. And I was waiting. Yeah. I was like, when is Beats going to have a new thing? This this could have been tempting because I do like Beats' hardware. But this case also looks like... I was going to say, it's a it's transparent, transparent case. It's cool. I have always been disappointed it by their cool. cases because they're either too mm. big or they feel too cheap. The Beats Fit Pro case feels so flimsy. Like if you push that too hard, it'll just like snap off. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see like Apple, the same company, basically releasing two types of the same product. I'm still on the side of the AirPods Pro 2, but let me know if you end up getting the Beats Studio Buds Plus. I, I want to know like what you all think of this thing, okay? Yeah. I just want to say that why in the live stream chat is saying list of things that Dev trusts, colon, nothing. But let's add a thing, which it sounds like you trust the AirPods Pro too. I trust them. I trust uh, them enough to them. buy them again within the same year. And I, I, honestly, I'm just using credit card points. So like that is, I, 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 it's not real money, right? I'm not really spending money again. It's just like fake money. It's all imaginary. But yeah, I do. I do like the AirPods Pro too. Um, I like tech I can trust everybody. And I like companies yeah. that support that tech. And Apple is not perfect, but they are certainly better when it, than a lot of others when it comes to this sort of thing. I do trust Apple yeah. more when it comes to privacy. This, this is, is true. Really Let's right. move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Um, Sherlyn, I know you were excited to talk about something, which I also just saw. Hell yes. Yeah. Been waiting to talk about the Blackberry movie, which I saw sometime in April uh, at a tech press screening, which was nice. And I've been since talking to Devendra about it. This is the movie that charts the rise and fall of Blackberry. 
BlackBerry, the phone slash company that I mean, research in motion took the world by storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, RIM, RIM, yeah. So they started off as research in motion. They still are, you're right. The the company was always RIM, RIM. Um, But the product they produced was the BlackBerry, the BlackBerry phones, the BlackBerry BBM messaging system, BBOS, a lot of a lot of different things. And it just told very compellingly. Um, the acting was great. This uh, I forget all the actors' names. <laughs> okay, now. so really yeah, it, it is about April. Mike Lazaridis, the co the co CEO, the and the real original founder of Research in Motion, and Jim Balsley, played by Glenn Howerton. Uh, Jay Baruchel, by the way, plays Mike Lazaridis, and yes. you may know him from. Who's who? This great. is the end. Uh, this is the end. He's really good. This is the end. Uh, there was a TV show, Undeclared, that came out after Freaks and Geeks. So, like, early Apato stuff. Jay Barish also plays the lead in, the, in How to Train Your Dragon. If you like that series, that series is also freaking fantastic. Glenn mm, Howerton. That's right, yes. Glenn Howerton is from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And people know him more as a shouty comedy guy. And he is kind of, like, tremendous in this movie because he plays Jim Balsillie, uh Balsilly. As a guy who's just like always angry, just always always has something so up his good, butt. He's so, so like clenched and like so always good. fighting. He's God. very good, but also like man, that is. He just enters a, a room boss. and it's like toxic yeah. work environment. Like he just emanates it, yeah. but through the sheer will of his toxicity, he pumped BlackBerry up to do. He pumped Rim up to be kind of a force in the world. Oh, yeah. So I, my main question for you, Sherlyn, because I like to make fun of you a lot. I want to know how much of this felt actually new to you, like the rise of BlackBerry, the rise of BlackBerry Messenger, which this movie all covers. And of course, we all know what happened to RIM. Like RIM went from having yep. a big chunk of the yep. mobile market to zero as of like 2015, yeah. 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much of this felt new to you? How much of this like was part of what you covered or already knew? Yeah. Okay. A few a few things up front, right? Um, one, uh, tech, Julio again in our uh, chat says BlackBerry was Bay. I never had that experience of BlackBerry was Bay. Why? Because I never had a BlackBerry. Um, in Singapore, growing up, I had dumb phones: the Nokia thirty three ten, the et cetera, et cetera. My first smartphone was like a Samsung Omnia or something, and I had a Nokia, uh, Symbian phone. So I never really had a BlackBerry experience. So a lot of the stuff that people were like really under getting, I didn't vibe with. Um, and yes, a lot of it was new to me. RIM was new to me. The the founders' names were new to me. A lot of the phone models were new to me. But as a tech member of the tech press, right, a lot of this also felt like so core to what we do. The, the product design process that they cover, I'm just like, whoa. Um, I also want to point out at the tech press event, there was a little bit of like a giveaway situation. <laughs> okay. This was like a, almost uh -huh, like a friend's uh -huh. event at this point because it was all the people yep. we knew, right? And uh, I won what was the second prize technically. And it was this like someone in Finland had like custom jiggered a little BlackBerry keyboard they bought off of a black market somewhere. Not black market, but like a resellage market. Hooked it up to a USB-C port and like Raspberry Pi circuit board or something. And it, it's basically a, a BlackBerry keyboard that will work with any USB-C device. That was the second prize. I won cool. that prize. Cool. The first prize was an old BlackBerry phone. Was it a know, storm? The Did they give somebody prize. a BlackBerry storm that they all... Someone gave an old phone. I forget which one. It was someone's parents' is, phone. They gave it away. I was I like, just okay. Have to say, it is just really funny. So first price. of all, this movie is excellent. It is a very good chart of the rise and excellent. fall and also of the innovator's dilemma and also the, the so drama well of everything happening here um, because it really is like Mike, Mike Lazaridis was known as like kind of a genius level engineer and the stuff he did in the 90s being like, 
there's all this wireless spectrum out here that's not really being used. Somebody should really take advantage of it. And people love their email, um, especially executives and people who will pay a lot for a thing. Um, this movie does a great job of charting the actual work that he did to shrink a device down to the size, also take advantage of the networks. And there's some great like yep. process work here of Change like things. the networks being like, yeah, we can only support, um, you know, 10 of these devices at once. And then Lazaridis will do a demo and do, like sketch out like not if we break up the components and we make it really, really compact and really efficient because data networks barely existed back then in the 90s and the early 2000s. Like there's a lot of genius level work here going on. Um, yep. The introduction of BlackBerry yep. Messenger where it's just like a 30 second se scene where like Such one of the co-CEOs is like, why are you working on texting? And Balzali, uh, Lazaridis is like, well... Our texting, um, first of all, text used to cost 10 cents a pop in the U.S. And yep. were very expensive in much of the world. This freaking changed BBM everything, was just yeah. like, hey, free texting, it's pretty instant and only on BlackBerry. Free texting. Only on only BlackBerry. Only on BlackBerry. And that, that is another thing that exploded the platform. And then in short order, you see the you see them all gathered around watching the iPhone keynote. And you could just like see like, oh, it's all, you guys have no clue. You have no clue about like what's coming yeah. because Lazarus is media like, well... It doesn't have a keyboard. Nobody's going to want this. Yeah. It's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. It takes up too much data. Right. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give too, too many spoilers, even though life. this is yeah. a factual yeah, yeah. movie that's happened. Yeah. This is real life. It's happened, whatever. But but that scene, honestly, that iPhone watching scene, pivotal. I, goosebumps. Great. Great scene. Because why? Because it ties in so much with, again, I think it's a special thing for us tech press. We, we've lived, we didn't, li I didn't live through most of it, but we know, we know the future. Also, for me, there was towards a, the end of the movie, uh, a scene where uh, Lazaridis is looking at new phones that were assembled slash made in China. That was a big deal. And yeah. to, that was a huge deal. And to me, knowing what happened with BB, the licensed brand, and TCL, yep, and TCL, a company from China, like that irony, the dramatic, well, it's dramatic, dramatic, some kind of yeah, irony yeah. or poetic, poetic, it's poetic, right? It's kind of awful poetic, dark poetic. That really hit me in the feels. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And then TCL bought them? Yeah. Like, oh, whoa. It does tell the line. We talked so, about xenophobia earlier. And like, Lazarus is somebody who was like, well, in the very first scene of the movie, he's like, he sees uh, an intercom and it's like buzzing. And he immediately takes it yeah, apart yeah, yeah. Uh, ahead of their meeting. And it's kind of funny. Great character introduction work here. But he sees the made in China sign. He's like, well, this is not made well. And it is, it is kind of like a shorthand. It can be a racist shorthand. But honestly, in the 90s, it was also kind of true where a lot of junk was coming out of China too. Back, Back in the, the day, day yeah. And like he kind of held yep. on to that too much. And now you got to think, where are the iPhones getting made, buddy? Where are the thing that's eating your lunch getting made? And that to me is the more poetic justice too that they didn't really fit into the movie. Anyway. This movie yeah. is very good. It's in theaters yeah, long, right long now. Long chat, but yes. We'll talk about so it. Good. I'm working yeah. on a review. I know it's a little late, but I want to I want to get some words out about this. But also, it does feel amazing for like, Sherlyn, like a lot of this is new to you. You work at a site that covered so much of this too. Like you can go back through the Engadget archives and see a lot of this. You could go see our review of the Blackberry Storm. You know what yeah. pissed me off in this movie? Never once did they mention Engadget. <laughs> the Gadget blogs barely existed <laughs> for, for, for very like 2005. They yeah. They mentioned Wired. They have Wired on there. Screw Wired, you, Wired. Hi. Wired, Wired is a titan <laughs> for a reason. Wired's been Wired. around since the 80s. But yeah, yeah. No, uh, go go check out Engadget's review of the BlackBerry Storm. I had a lot of fun going back and reading our coverage of this. And also, 
I wrote some yeah. of this coverage too, uh, Adventure Beat and other places, like in 2012, when like Lazaridis and Balsali sat, like know. basically stepped down. I went to dinner with a bunch of these folks. I, I forget if they were actually at the dinners, but 2010, 2011, I was going to dinner with Blackberry. I was going to dinner with Nokia. And in, me- in so many ways, I was just saying like, hey guys, yep. you're screwed. Gosh. What are you doing about this? Why are we <laughs> sitting here having steak when you're screwed? And both oh, yeah. Nokia... And Blackberry people are like, oh, we're, we're not too worried. We'll be fine. We're Blackberry. Well, we're they Nokia. were frogs getting yeah. boiled in the hot water, right? They weren't. They Nokia weren't were, were Finnish people getting boiled water. in their saunas, yeah. basically. But yeah, that's basically that's basically <laughs> what it was. It's just like this. It also brings back all those feels, too, because, hey, if you're old enough, if you guys have been reading Engadget for a while, you've seen this history. Um, yeah. I think this movie just does a great job of like boiling it down, capturing the drama and uh, telling so telling a really uh, realistic version of this story because one thing I didn't like about the Tetris movie, which is fine and fun but kind of dumb, is that it really watered down the real drama to like have a car chase and to make things like really silly and really like I don't know, really campy in a way. So anyway, Black Mirror movie, very. Good. I will say there was there was one thing I really hated about the Blackberry movie. I really hated that the first few scenes were shot on like this The Office style hand, shaky cam sort of Why? situation. Good. Really pissed That's me good. off. I it was fine. I think it's but here if you're like me and you don't like that sort of uh, shooting, I think just listen and uh, just give it the fifteen minutes. Right, the first fifteen minutes is shot kind of like that, but the rest of it is pretty good. Um, and it's not they, they do kind of they do the kind of change up the. I think it's very distinct. Like the color even yeah. changes at a certain point. Yeah. I think like something yes. something happens. It goes from very warm. to It's very a very nineties cool movie. Um, so anyway, it's it's all that it's very good. It's in theaters now. It'll be on video demand very soon. Check out my review. I just wanted to quickly shout out now that we have a little time. Uh, the Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom is is fully out. I hear so many good so, things. So many good things. Yeah. Uh, Nate talked about it for his review last week, and I just want to say I put a couple hours into it. It's brilliant. It is weirdly it's so Nintendo because it's also like it's not perfect. It's kind of weirdly punishing. Like within the first hour, it felt like I was basically playing uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie The Revenant. Where there's a point in the first (gasps) island where there's like snow and you got like, well, you better have your warming up food. You better have like, you better stay near the fires when you can. Like it is, it is not handholdy in the way a lot of other games are. Um, And to me, that was kind of, I've talked to a lot of people who are, who play video games a lot, who like got lost on that first island. And I just thought it was kind of like brave and amazing that Nintendo made something that could be done like this. And I think the systems themselves, the actual building systems may also be a little too much. It's definitely overwhelming. I, have you been playing it, Trillin? Because you have a Switch. I do, but Zelda's not my game. I know. Blasphemy, I know. But I don't play Zelda. Um, I've heard good things. I might. I just need to... Look, I need to finish Pokemon first, okay? And I There's still haven't... No you know what Pokemon. I've been doing? I've been reading books. I've been Zelda's reading books. very good. I yeah, just want to so. say that. But I, I do agree. It's not as elegant as Breath of the Wild was. It's more like... I think Nintendo's less afraid of like breaking things down. They're like just adding loads of systems. Um, the one, the one power that lets you literally, literally just like rise up through ceilings, just feels like it is hilarious because there's no logic to it, right? It's just pure like, hey, this is a video game. We give you this thing that lets you go up. Are you tired of climbing? You could go up now. And I, I do feel like like Nintendo doesn't have to feel the need to explain exactly why that works. So, and it's good. I wish uh, I had more time to actually play. That is the curse right now, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping to clock in more time. Let us know how you're feeling about Zelda or any of this stuff, or if you see the Blackberry movie podcast at Engadget.com. 
That's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at at Davindra on Twitter at Davindra at Mastodon social on the Mastodon site. And hey, I'm on Blue Sky. You just I'm at Davindra on Blue Sky as well. I don't have any invites. Sorry, Sherlyn. Congrats, though. Congrats. Um, if you want to send me, if you're if you're a Google employee, you have thoughts on the internal process. You send me an email. I've got some new ones. Sherlyn at Engadget.com. C H E R at Engadget.com also works. Oh, you C- finally got Sherlyn at Engadget.com. This has I been know. We finally, this was not allowed for a while. For sure. Okay. Yeah, I know. Hit me up, c at engadget.com. But if you have things you can talk about publicly, like, I don't know, what should be my next video call out, you can send them my way. I'm still on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Podcast will kill the TikTok star. No, I'm kidding.